Today's guest is Siobhan Dehan, my mammy, a 59-year-old mother of two and who has three treasured grandchildren. In February 2015, she lost the love of her life, my daddy, at the age of 51. She then lost her much-loved son-in-law, Berkey, my husband, in April 2020, then her lifelong friend Robert, just six weeks later. On today's podcast, Siobhan speaks openly and honestly about her losses and how her life has changed forever and how by talking and sharing her experiences has given her a new sense of hope. Ready to go? I'm ready when you are. Siobhan, welcome to Memory of Me. Thank you. Siobhan, aka known as my mammy, Nanny Siobhan. Um... And if you want to say awkwardly, my waddled friend. Well, I wouldn't even call that awkward. That's just a fact of life. This is that. It's the reality of what we're going through and through life. This is that. Unfortunately, um, it's not something we want to say. And I marginally hit the word widow, but we'll go with it. Why? Why do you hate it so much? Because I think it defines you as somebody Oh, this wee woman in a corner that should be in a wee thatched house <laughs> looking over <laughs> a half barn door, um, all dressed in black <clears throat> um, and yelling white in the fields. Um, it's just an old word. I <clears throat> find it an old word and I don't like it. I don't use it. I don't describe myself as it. No. Um, so... I remember the first time for me to ever see it, and I remember the first time you ever seen it too as well, was Santander Bank, wasn't it? That's correct, it? that's right. And I remember it came up straight away. It came Watto, up, because I went to start out our affairs, and it came up, Watto, and I remember saying to the girl, I really don't want you to use that word around mm. me. Um, and she says, I'm sorry, but that's the terminology, and that's what you're going to be described as. And I says, well, don't you describe me as that? No, I do. I remember. I remember you coming out in the depths of that afterwards. Was just I really had home for you. Aye, because I think it was. It was a couple of weeks after, wasn't it? It was. It was only about two weeks after your daddy passed, and it was just that it was hard enough dealing with that. But then they have this label attached to you, which I found really, really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and I thought this is me. This mm-hmm. I'm going to be known forever now as Waldo Siobhan. Mm-hmm. I know. I know, and it absolutely sucks. Like. Uh, there's no two way about it. you know it, it is uh, but it's part as you said it's part of life it's part of our lives now and it's our reality yeah i don't mind when we joke about it Aye, and we joke about it with people that know us Aye. but whenever people address you as that or you're known as that or you go to the doctors or somewhere or you go to it's some tough. sort of official and they describe you as that it is a campy it's just like another blow like another kick it is it is surely mm. Well, this is, uh, you're completely out of your comfort zone today, aren't you? I am so out of my comfort zone <laughs> that it's unreal because anybody that knows me knows that while if I know you, I'll talk to you. But anybody who knows me knows I am an intensely private, quiet person. And the I've, unseen guest, should I yes, say? Yes, and I really don't like getting my photograph taken, never mind being on camera. So when you say I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm not far out, I'm hanging off the edge of the cliff. <laughs> Well, at that, so let's talk about my daddy. Let's talk about him and let's talk about who Siobhan really is. Well, Siobhan is Siobhan Dehan. Uh, A.K.A. known as Siobhan McLaughlin. I was Siobhan McLaughlin before I got married. Um, I am the eldest of five children. And thankfully, I can say my both parents are still with us. Um, I 
had a very normal childhood. We grew up in the Troubles. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like to have been rearing children in the Troubles, but my mum and father had a brilliant job with us. And, you know, from a very early age, we were told that we had to get on, we had to get to school, and we had to do our work, and whatever else went on, we kept our head down and we kept going, and mm-hmm. that's what we did. My mum and father worked very, very hard. Um, my father worked away quite a bit when I was younger, mm. and my mother was left with the five of us for periods of time, and she had two jobs, two cleaning jobs to, to you know, to look after us. And um, we had a happy childhood. Of course, we had were ups and downs like anybody else, but we were a, a, what you call a normal, if there's any word as normal, a normal family, and we didn't have any pain, we didn't have any suffering, and thankfully, you know, we went through right up until I got married. We See I had life. Sail through life at no bother. I met your daddy, who his name is Callum, but I've never called him Callum. He was always Peggy from the moment I met him, and felt like me, we Berkey. Aye, but um, so people will know him in the work situation as Callum, but outside of work, he was always Peggy, and the all his friends called him Peggy. It was just really work colleagues would have called him Callum. Mm-hmm. I met him when I he was fourteen and I was fifteen, and it's a very romantic story of how we met. Uh, we were at Midnight Mass in the Waterside Chapel <laughs> in Chapel Road. Me, LOL. <laughs> and I had never set my eyes on him before. And my cousin and myself, who I used to run about with, Dale, went to Midnight Mass. And in them days, you went to Midnight Mass. It was at midnight. Yeah. And you wore your best uh, Christmas clothes. And we went... Polished to perfection. Polished to perfection. Like, that was the only time you really got clothes, but you had them on you anyway. And we went down to communion. We were up the stairs in the balcony. And we went down to our communion and we were coming back up the stairs to the balcony when there was a group of people, a group of fellas, standing at the bottom of the balcony. Now, I knew some of them yeah. from running about. But um, as I was walking up, I had this most gorgeous brown skirt on me and I felt the hand going up my skirt <laughs> and I turned around and I slapped this fella's fist because I thought, that is so embarrassing. Walking so up there, me coming like <laughs> my angel, me coming up with my angel fist on, coming back from communion, and I was a wee bit of a goody two shoes, I have to God say. God bless you, yeah. And uh, so I slapped him across the fist, and it turned out to be your daddy. I had never seen him before in my life, and we were walking up a stairs, and I said to my day, you were a wee oiler gear too as well. Well, I was nine months. Let's well, not exaggerate. You know. Um. So I said to Dale, "Who is that?" And she says. Siobhan, that's Peggy Deacon. He lives across the street from me. Do you not know him? And I says, no, I do not. And I don't want to know him. Mm. So that was all right. Um, after Mass, we were walking up Chapel Road and he came over laughing. And he said, um, I'm well sorry about that, but they put me up to it. And he says, do you not know who I am? And I says, no, I do not. And he says, I used to go to the Waterside Youth Club. And so did he, unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Um, I really didn't really know him or take him on to be noticed and he says I've been watching you in Waterside Just Club for ages he says um, I'm in the table tennis team and I was in the table tennis team <coughs> and I says right I says well you mustn't be much good uh, and he says I'll have you know my best for my age and I says alright right okay so in the course of that we walked up the hall and we were chatting and chatting and over the next couple of weeks oh to be young again over the next couple of weeks then um, you know he would come over in the club and we would chat and chat and Eventually then we just started going out with each other. It's not the way they do nowadays, but no. we started going out with each other. And there's no Snapchat, Instagram, no none socials, of that. no none, none of, that. of that. And you had to be on home for nine o'clock. Oh, so right. that was that. So as I say, that was, I was just turned 15 and he was 14. And that was it. 
Uh, was that? That was it. And he was the youngest of 11. Right. Um, you were the oldest. And I was the oldest of five. And Peggy won't mind me saying this, but he came from a completely different family than I did. Yeah. Um, he came from a very dysfunctional and very broken family. And he openly talked about it and, and the effect it had on him, even to me, even at that age. Yeah. So um, we bonded very, very quickly. And I know... In this day and age, you're looking thinking, oh my God, that is insane. But we were married when he was 18 and I had just turned 19. Like, that's crazy. Like, like I could never imagine Adam Mifa coming on saying to me, I'm getting married at It 18. just wouldn't happen. I just wouldn't allow no. it. But, um, but in them days... that was back in them days. In them days, that was not unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, we were... We just wanted to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in them days, you had to give the chapel three months' notice. And I came in and told my mom and father that we were getting married and they nearly took a fit mm-hmm. because they thought, Jesus Christ of Almighty, you know, you're only 19 and, you know, whatever. But I says, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, there's no point in delaying it. We want to be together. And about three weeks before we got married, your daddy got a flat up on the top of the hill and that was to be our first home. And we got married. I mean, when I tell you, Per church mouses had more money. Mm. I mean, we were skint beyond skint. Yeah. And but we didn't matter. Jeez, it didn't matter because yeah. in them days people didn't have a lot. No. So it wasn't unusual for people to get married and have no money. But no. And when I say we had no money, I mean we had no money. No. But we made it work and we you worked at by. it and this is that and we decided we were married not very long that you know the only way to get out of this was to get ourselves better jobs. Yeah. But we worked worked and worked hard, and it wasn't easy in them days. All your daddy's friends, especially men in the town, there was no work in no. this town for dairy men. They all went to England, or they were further afield. But he wanted to get into the health service, and he got into the health service right enough in the first go. Uh, as a nursing assistant down in Stradray, we were only married four months when he got on, and he was... Drew- they remain in the health service until he died 30 some years later, 34 yeah, years later. Yeah. Um, but as I say, we got on very well together. We had two completely different personalities. As you know, your daddy yeah. was very, very extrovert and I am very, very introvert. Aye, 100%. And, like you always stood behind him. He would yes. have done all the talking. Which suited and me to grand. As I said mm. at the start there, you're very much the unseen guest anyway. And yes. you were one there when my daddy was too as well. He yeah. would have all the joking, the laughing, uh, all the time. Which suited me. Suited you. Yeah. Suited me because he'd done enough talking for three people. Yeah. So I was fine with that and that's the way we rolled. But even though he was a very extrovert character mm. and he was and he loved the banter and he loved going out and talking to people, he was really only happy. His happiest times was when he was at home. Yeah. And he used to say to me, it was exhausting. And I think at the same time too, it was a persona that he put up to because he had a lot of pain in his own growing up life. Yeah. And I think whenever he was at home, he could be himself. Yeah, 100%. And this is it. And whenever you find, and if you're lucky enough to find your soulmate, hmm. you know, it takes time to build trust in anybody. And whenever you find your soulmate, that's the person that you can be your total self with. Yeah, let go and just... Say whatever you need to or... Warts and all. They yeah. see the good of you and they see mm-hmm. the worst of you. And, you know, and it took time, of course, you know. Um, but we were very comfortable with each other. He knew my insecurities and I knew his. Yeah. And that's the way it was. 
So that was grand. We were, as I say, we got married in 1982, um, January 1982, and we decided... Connor came in 1983. We decided to have Connor, and he came on July 1983. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a very easy pregnancy. He was a firstborn. He was the first grandchild um, on my side, and he was a really good baby. There was Mm -hmm. no problems with him. Um... He was very loved because, as I say, he was the first grandchild. And my four brothers and sisters were f- four, five, six and seven years younger than me. So they were still at home with my mother yeah. and father. And so they destroyed him. They had him ruined. Ruined. And um, so it's like a wee pass a parcel. Uh-huh. And that was it. So it so, took you seven years then. Fast forward seven years then. Mm. It took you seven years to come around to have me. Well... There's a wee story in that because I was very happy with one child. Okay. And I says, dear daddy, because life was tough and we were working and I had went to work back to the shirt factory and I hated it. Yeah. And I hated coming home exhausted every day and yeah. picking Connor up from my mother's. And I went to pick him up one day and he was about nine or ten months and he said no. And I broke my, I cried the whole way home because he was very happy staying there. And I went home that night and I said, dear daddy, I did not have a child for somebody else to bring up. Ah, you wanted to. And yeah. I said, and I know, you know, times is tough and we're just about getting by, but I'm not prepared for somebody else to bring, bring up our no. child. That was it. So that was it. I gave up my work and I went part time and it was grand. So I was happy enough with the one child and... But your daddy wasn't. Did you have pressure through society? Yes, especially from people that you don't even know. Oh my God, what age is your Connor now? God, yeah. it's not time for you to have another one. But that's the way everything is. That's the way that's things the way goes, it does. 100%. You know and people mean well too as well. You know, well, at the end of the day, it's I... It's not probably said in malice, but you know, no. at the same time too, it does put pressure on you as a couple too. It, well, it doesn't to me because I'm a very stubborn person and oh, if I if don't. I don't want something it won't happen yeah so you know but your daddy was very adamant because he'd come from a big family that he didn't want one child mm-hmm. so it took him and I'm going to be honest with this seven years to talk me around yeah and I says right I says but this is it if we have another child this is going to be it that's it and we didn't care if it was a boy or girl and he was beside himself when you were born because he thought this is oh, that gentleman's family. Yep. We girl and Connor was seven. We Miss Brodie um, Dehan came in on the 5th of September, 1990. 1990. And I thought this is going to be a lovely wee girl because Connor was such an easy baby. Mm-hmm. He really, really was. I have to say, he was very few sleepless nights with him. He was very placid. He was, you know, he was a great feeder. He was a model baby. So and then what came about? disaster. <laughs> then came trouble with a big T. Didn't decide to sleep. Was really strappy. Tell me this too. Had colic all the time. How did you pick my name? I you knew, do realise my name means sorrow. Uh, and that's probably that's probably like that's you've signed me punishment. up to my life already. Like uh, you've already signed me uh, up to well, what's happened. Know this? It was probably going to be my punishment for all the loveliness I had with Connor Bibby. Now God says, you know what? You had it too easy. Let's go. Right. So whenever I had you, you decided that you weren't going to sleep. You decided that you were going to have colic. You would stay with nobody. Kept in your toes. And so the first three years, I can say I was nearly bald. 
Um, oh, your daddy used to go to work to actually get a break away from the non-stop crying and gearing and going on. And until you went to nursery and then you sort of came to yourself. But happy days. Sure, that's good. That's good. Not sad. So anyway, back to my daddy now. So what are we chatting about now about my daddy? Well, I was going to say he was very, very fat. He mm-hmm. was very, very healthy. Um, we had, you had just bought your first home you and Berkey had just bought your first home mm-hmm. and found a drive and we had decided oh what I've sort of left out in about this I was a wee bit of a mover I like to move oh she likes to move I like to move I she don't really stay she's had ha- 11 house moves no I correct you there's 13 but anyway I like to move but anyway whenever any flat that we're on now this is her final move you're not going nowhere no. after this, this is me this is, this is, this is you now this is it but anyway um after you decided to leave the house and buy your own house, we were living in a four-bedroom house and it was far too big for just the two of us. Yeah. So we decided at the same time as you were buying your new first house in Fanet Drive that we would buy our forever home. Mm-hmm. And we seen this house in Blackthorn Manor here in the Waterside and Derry. And we absolutely... Well, your daddy fell in love with it first. I took a wee bit of persuasion, but I could see the potential in it. He wanted this garage and there was a room upstairs for a man cave and he thought all his Christmases had come at once Mm -hmm. because he was a massive guitar player. He had a vast music collection. Music was a very, very important part of our our lives together. And um, so we got this house and we were... Just finished and what we need was a bit of work needed done, did. Yeah. And as any house, it's a work in progress, but the outside work needed done. So we had just completed that when you were, you had just moved out. So we were then in 2015. Um, you had went for surgery at Christmas so January, time uh, January, in January of your appendix. Yeah. And the laugh was whenever Brona bought her house in Fanet Drive, um, Peg went up one night to put washing away upstairs and he says to me, the Wayne, that's, he never called Bronahang, but the Wayne, mm. the Wayne's wardrobe is the nearly... The Wayne at 24. Yeah, the Wayne's <laughs> wardrobe is nearly empty. Where's all her clothes? Mm. I says... That's because I had a drop by drop by drop tackle him out of the little house so he wouldn't see. And yeah. I did it every time when he was working. At the time, he was working up in Oma. Yeah, so... Because he was just that. distraught. So I said, she has bought a house packing. Aye. But if she's not going to stay in it in the weekend, I says, no. This is her home now. Mm. Her and Berkey have bought this house together and she's going to be loving on it. Mm-hmm. Really? And I says, really? Exactly. You're just going to have to and accept the, the fact that she's out now. This is her house and unfortunately, she will stay here the whole night. Aye. And he was delighted when you came back because you had been done for the surgery. So you were back in our house for a week and I think he was trying to cling on to you but you went back home after the week. So and what we haven't said to everybody too as well, within them spits years of growing up, then I met Berkey back right. in 2006. Um, and then from 2006, on, well, really from 2007 onwards, when Berkey came through the house, we were very much loving in the fast lane. We had our struggles, yeah. uh, but we had our highs. When our highs were highs, they were good. Um, we went on a lot of holidays together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a lot of things together yeah. too as well. We were, you know, we very much... The four of us done yeah. a lot of things together, um, uh, you know, and and thank God that we have we have all them photographs yeah. and and memories and videos and everything else. And my daddy adored Berkey too as well. He really, really he did. did. He absolutely loved mm. him too as well. 
Um, so anyway, sorry, we're back now. Day two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. Um, Blackthorn Manor. Blackthorn Manor. A couple Manor. of months, my yeah. daddy was there for. Yeah. And um, I, as you're just saying there about Berkey, Berkey, when Berkey came under our house, he felt it on like a glove, mm-hmm. and he pegging idolized him, and he just thought it was great. And whenever they bought the house, and you moved out, and you were sneaking your clothes out, your daddy said to me, "I'm not worried about Bruna because I know he'll look after." Yeah. And I said, "Well." And at the same time too, I said, they have to learn. I said, you were long married and had children Aye. at that age. Yeah. And um, we were newly engaged. All that. But um, your dad still thought you as this wee seven-year-old run around with pigtails. Yeah. But um, so that was that. So in February 2015, um, we were just, as I say, in the process of getting the house finished and we were doing bits and pieces. And he was... Um, the chairman of Foyle Valley Athletic Club, which was the, one of the greatest prides of his life. He absolutely loved the club. Right Honourable loved, Chairman. Right Honourable, that's what he called himself, Right Honourable Chairman. And when you were talking to me, I had to give him his full title. Mm-hmm. Um, but he absolutely loved the club. He loved the runners on it. Yeah. He loved the whole ethos of the club. He just loved everything it about it. It was literally his passion. He just absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And he ran every single day after work, much, much they cracked me up many today. A dinner was sitting ready and I just got to the stage. I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to make a dinner now at 7 o'clock because there's no point. No. But his two passions, apart from, the, of course, Pagan's greatest love of his life was his family. But he absolutely loved his running club mm-hmm. and he absolutely loved his music. Um, and Foyle Valley, you know, they were like a lifeline to him. He just loved the banter and it was a great release for him because it was quite a stressful job. Mm-hmm. Um. And they love meeting up with them nearly every day of the week. Mm-hmm. He could have met if he had met up with them. If he could have, he would have met up with them seven days a week. So he was very fit. He was very very healthy. Um, he didn't drink. He drank in his earlier years, and yeah. that caused him a problem. So he stopped drinking when he was twenty four. And he hadn't drank. He'd never smoked. And he'd, there's no point in me saying he had a healthy diet because he didn't. No, he did not. Because when I was working, I was a, a staff nurse. And when I was working, the days I was working, he would have went to the chip shop. But he ran, as I say, every day. He was extremely fat. Um, but he, tell the truth, he ran to eat. He ran to eat. And he would open and tell you this. The more he ran, if he ran 60 miles, he could eat 60 miles. Exactly. He ran to eat. And he would open and say to you, know, well, he wouldn't oh. say to the runners because he wouldn't let them know. No. But he would say to me, like, if I had done an extra run the night, that means I can have like a Chinese on a Saturday night. And that's but then the remember the jelly diet on the Monday? It would have went then on a diet. If somebody had a bit of an wrist, it, it was like that's catastrophic. The jelly the diet is happening. Jelly diet. It would have went done on the Monday and it, it, have, it would have made up this uh, sugar-free jelly. A tray that size there of jelly. And he would have ate that. That would have lasted two days and then he would have went back to himself. But he never really had wit on him as such because he ran that much and he was that running around on autopilot all the time that he didn't really hold a lot of weight maybe like four or five pounds but he was a fat and healthy man and uh, as I say so February 2015 he was uh, sneaking out while I was at work to do a wee bit of extra running at night while walking the dogs the poor dogs were running along him but mm. um, we had two dogs running Aussie and so as I say he would have done that when I was at work he would have sneaked on an extra wee run and then I would have come in and have been eating it he would ring me at work and say do you want something out of Chinese right. and I would say no packing listen I'm not coming home from work at half eight at night to eat that mm-hmm. I'll just have like a toasty or sandwich or something um, don't get me wrong I love my fast food too but not at that time when you're doing a 12 hour shift I just wasn't in the mood 
But I would have come in and he, the rappers would have been there and he would have, whatever. So as I say, he was fit and healthy and um, he had no problem. But one thing about him was he was petrified of illness. And if he had a cough, he was ringing the doctor the next day saying that he had a sore throat or I needed an emergency appointment or I know, he was really, really bad. Or if anything, if he had like a head cold, it was man flu. Yes, it was, uh, you know, it, it was, was never, extremes, uh, like. it was never so, you know, but subsequently. But really yeah. wouldn't have happened often anyway, would no, him? but know? he would have been, you know, if he had a head, because people always say to me, did he not have any inkling that no. he was sick? And I can assure you this, if he even had I had a twinge, yeah. he'd have been at the doctor. So anyway, February 2015, as I say, um, the night um, I came home from my work, I was working a 12-hour shift, and I come home that night, and he said to me, phoned me and says, do you want a Brenton's? Brenton's chip shop, one of the really good chip shops here in Derry. And I said, you know what, I'll take a wee half a fish. So that was fine. And when I came home that night, it was about quarter past eight. He says, the Wayne, meaning Brona, mm. the Wayne was here for an hour and we had a great chat. We and literally I said chatted about, this is the night before my daddy passed. Yeah. And the next day my daddy passed away. And like I was on Wayne for well over an hour. I was on my third 12 hour shift. And we talked about absolutely everything. I mean, everything. We were actually going the next day to look at wedding venues. Yeah. And he says, Wayne was here for an hour, we had a great chat. And he says, I just took a notion the night they rang Rosaline. Rosaline was Peggy's sister who loved in Virginia and America. And he says, I know you better talk with her. And I says, right, what prompted that? He says, just don't know. He says, I just felt like I wanted to talk to her. And he says, and I rang Connor. Now, my Connor then, or our Connor then, had been living in the Isle of Butte in Scotland. So he'd rang him. And this is all before I had come in. And he says, so we were sitting chatting anyway. And even now, it's hard for me to say, but he looked over at me in the chair and he says, Siobhan, out of the blue, he just says, Siobhan, I have loved you all my life. And you are my rock and I don't know what I would do without you. Mm. And I looked at him and I says, get yourself on. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm deadly serious. Siobhan. And I knew by his fist, it was deadly serious. And I says, is everything all right? And he says, aye. But... That you, day, exactly you, a year mm. ago, his brother had dropped dead, has mm. Paul. So the next day, being that was the 26th of February, the next day being the 27th of February, was going to be Paul's first anniversary. So I thought, I was feeling a wee bit melancholy because this is Paul's anniversary. Little did I know the next day was going to be his anniversary. Mm. So we went up to her bed and I was... Did you think that, you know, when you were just saying that about Connor and myself and Rosaline and all that there, do you think that he had any... No. No. A hundred percent. No. A hundred... I, I can guarantee he hadn't an ache nor pain mm-hmm. because he would have... No. Do you know what they say sometimes? They, well, you know. maybe this is God working a different way, but I know for a fact that he was not symptomatic of anything. No, I had no, no he ache nor pain nor no. nothing. And we went up to her bed that night, and as he did many a night, he took up a tray. Now, to other people, this might sound a bit mad, but this was him. He took up a tray to his bed, and on the tray was six packets of crisps and a bottle of Coke. Mm. And we were watching Breaking Bad series on the TV at the time. Oh, I love that. And we went up, and he was sitting, munching away his crisps, and I says, I am totally exhausted. I had just finished two... 12-hour shifts and as I say we had planned to take the next day off and I says 
I can't watch any more of this. I am totally exhausted. So he says, that's grand. I'm going to watch another wee episode. And I'll see you in the morning. And as we always did for the 34 years at that point that we were married, he says to me, I'll see you in the morning. I love you very much. And I says the same thing. I says, I love you and I'll see you in the morning. And that's the last words that he spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning I woke and all I'm going to say about that is he went under cardiac arrest. And there was nothing they could do for him. I know he was dead in the house, mm-hmm. but they took him to Alton and Galvin because he was so young and so fit. And I think it was to pacify me mm-hmm. that they took him um, to Alton and Galvin, but there was nothing they could do for him. And I was just... I travelled in the ambulance with him. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a nurse myself, I knew exactly what they were saying. But they didn't know I was a nurse. And when we got to Alton McGalvin, I can just tell you now, it was just pandemonium because parts of it I remember very, very vividly mm-hmm. and other parts I don't. But there's really nothing else to say apart from the fact that he died there. He died peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and to tell you, it was a shock was a complete understatement um, mm. and nobody could understand how this fat healthy 51 year old man could be struck down like this mm-hmm. and neither could I and I still don't understand it but um, even now I still even now I still feel like I am loving this complete unnatural life that sometimes I'm even looking at you now and I'm just thinking is this actually our lives yeah. do you know what I mean do you know, there's I, always that numbness around this too as well that yeah. you know, you're just wishing sometimes that you just wake up and it's all a dream well the thing is because of the suddenness of it and no warning and I don't want to get into any details no, but um, because I was on my own with them it's it's something that never leaves you never leaves you it, it's it's um, and I come from a nursing background and I have attended people that have passed but it's completely different when it's your own Absolutely. Soulmate and the person I've been with since I was 15 years of age. And mm. to see him like that was just unspeakable. Mm-hmm. But it's, you go one day, a pilot mode. The thing is, I was worried about my children. Mm. My Connor was in Scotland and I couldn't, as much as I tried, I couldn't tell him. Mm. So I asked Berkey to ring him. And Berkey and my sister rang him and told him and I I took the phone and he says just they told him he had become really unwell and he needs to come home and he just says to me, Mama, is he going? And I says, He is mm. And I there's nothing else I could say to him. I just says, He is and I says, Son, you need to come home. Um and I can't imagine what that journey is like for anybody not here because mm-hmm. I can tell you now it was hell mm-hmm. here. And you know, Bruno was there and mm. my family were there and Package family was there and his friends started arriving and it was just completed an utter shock. Chaos, literally chaos. Just complete and utter. Like, it's like somebody has, it's like you're an out of body experience mm. that you're here looking in at this thing and this can't be true. No. This can't. You're going to wake up in the morning like you've ever had dreams. We've all had them. And you wake up and you say, oh, thank God that was a dream. Yeah. And I was thinking, wishing that this doctor, you know, had made a mistake. Mm-hmm. 
But I knew deep in my heart before he left that house that he was gone. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing the barter my God and the ambulance. I don't care if he's brain dead. Mm -hmm. I don't care how long he's without oxygen. I will look after him. As long as he's a physical person beside me, I'll care for him. I'll devote the rest of my life caring for him. No, you don't care. I don't care. You did that bartering. And it doesn't until time had passed and after the funeral and that, I said to myself, you know, that was selfish Mm. because you would not want him to love like that. No, That's not who he is. But at the time, all I wanted was him here and... That was that, but and that was the beginning of your grief journey. Then that was the beginning. But to be well honest, what you run and you've experienced this yourself. Mm. My first thought was for you and Connor. Mm-hmm. My children, they suffer this unspeakable pain mm. at such early young years. There's me still here at fifty nine with my both parents. Thank God. Mm. But for my children, they suffer that pain. They lose the person that was the rock of our family, was the centre of our world. Mm. You know, to lose him like that without any warning, it was just unbearable. Just complete devastation. Complete and utter devastation. And I remember sitting in that Alton Galvin hospital thinking, I wish everybody would just... Fuck off. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to say it. I have to say, just go. And leave us in peace. Yeah, I get that. And I remember him lying, sitting there with him, and they had like this blanket around him. And I remember thinking, what ship have you got him on? At least tidy him up. So I was basically fixing this blanket, and and I remember thinking to myself, this is not real. Life. This is not real. real. This I has remember to be at one stage afterwards when he died passing. We were all in the room and then they let, it was just me and you because our Connor obviously hadn't arrived back yet. And I remember looking at you and I just remember staring and just saying, what What has happened? Uh-huh. What, like, how is how has this happened? How is he here? And I just remember Berkey standing just beside me and I remember looking at him and he was this, the colour of a white wall. He was just absolutely sheet white and he just kept shaking his head and saying to me, what, what's, what's going on? Do you know he what I mean? He was in as much shock as we were. You know, he, he you know, had no this words. This is I said like there before, we were very much, you know, the four of us did so much together. Do you know, we were, we seen each other every single day. We did everything together. So Berkey was like an adopted son of you really want to say in them words. He was. Um, do you know, so, the devastation there was just, you know, just so unnatural. And then at game day then, do you know, after the, the funeral and the wake and, and all that, because we're all so brilliant to do that, us Irish people, we know how to throw a great, and I've said it numerous amount of times, we know how to throw a great wake, we know how to throw a great funeral and everything else that, but the aftermath of that then afterwards, we're not too great at. No. At all whatsoever. Um, but you know, my, my thing in was that me and Berkey both, all we did was worry about you, um, worry about how you would, you would cope and stuff like that, because my daddy was the center of our lives. Um, he was as your, uh, forever soulmate. And we were always so, so worried about you. Um, we were feared of, you know, going on the deep depression. We were feared that sometimes that 
maybe if you went to the bed that you would might not get back up again. Mm-hmm. Do you know, we were always, I was always in high alert right up until Berkey passed. Yeah. Worrying about you. And I think you agree in that too as well. That Absolutely. I, I very much yeah. was, I did have you tortured. Mm-hmm. I had rang you like uh, many times a day. Did we yeah. rang? Do you know, I was constant. Just a both face wear. Yeah, um, and then and on the reverse side of that, I was constantly worried about you and Connor and and how that was affecting you. And because I had no experience of loss of a parent, my parents were still alive. I yeah. didn't have that. Now your daddy's parents had long gone, yeah. and I remember him losing his parents, and it was completely devastating because. Somehow and then we all he, grief differently. This is that he lost his mother at more or less the same way. Yeah. At twenty five, and he really never got over her death. He was just a complete shock. The exact same thing. The father went down to make her a cup of tea, and when he came up, she was dead in the bed. So it was it was quite similar, around the same age as what you were. So I hadn't got the experience of, but I had love with your daddy and tried to help him through it. But it's completely different when it's your own. But the wake and funeral is something that. You know, I will always be eternally grateful that no, so many would, yeah. people, I, so many people turned up to pay their respects for him. And when your daddy was getting buried that day, the twenty of the uh, he died on the twenty seventh of February, the day he was getting buried, um, there was like, I inches mean, inches of inches of snow. Of snow. Mm. And I remember the undertaker saying to me that morning, "You know, I don't know how we're going to get him out of here because we lived in a big hill." And I thought, I don't care. I'll keep him an holiday. That's Doesn't right. matter to me if he's to sit here for a week. I, know, I don't I care. I was. I, I thought to myself, you were like, "That's grand. That's grand. I'll keep him an holiday. It's grand. Don't you be worried." You know, about because it. as long as he's there in the house, was he? Aye. He's still there. Exactly. And this is that, and that's the thing. And I will be forever grateful to the people that turned up. And you know, as you say, like we do. Well, if such a thing as a good week, you know, you were hearing stories about your daddy that. That I didn't know there was people coming that I hadn't seen in years, and they were paying their respects. And because he was so well respected within the health service, there's people travelled long distances in that well or the same, which mm. was all great. But whenever we put your daddy under the ground, the last two people leaving the grave was me and Berkey. Mm. And I remember him walking up with me home because from the graveyard to our home in Blackthorn was like a three minute walk, and. I remember him putting his arm around me and at the grave and he said to me, Siobhan, I will always look after you. Mm. And I just said, thanks, Berkey, I know you will. But I thought unto myself, I don't want to be a burden to you or anybody else. Mm-hmm. But when I walked back up under that house and I closed the door and there were people, mostly family, welling about the house, you I said. took off my coat and I walked straight up the stairs and I said, Somebody came up behind the stairs to me. me. I came up and, and I, I said, you come and you says, I just get rid of everybody. I've done my fist for three days. I can't do it anymore. And when I come back down them stairs, your daddy's not going to be there. And our best friend, Robert, who was packing, yeah. and my lifelong friend, and Brona and me and Berkey and Connor were the only people there. They, everybody else left. They knew that I had had enough, that I couldn't do it. And I just had it get rid of everybody because then your real journey was to begin mm-hmm. and a cousin of mine had lost his wife about 14 months before packet passed and at the wake he says to me Siobhan this house is thronged with people there were people queuing up out in the street to get on yeah, it was literally like a conveyor belt to get on to my daddy like. and he said and I can tell you this now Siobhan you see within two weeks you've been in this house on your own 
and bag all was he right mm-hmm. and you know I could count on the one hand the amount of people that stayed that stayed in touch mm-hmm. that stayed you know stood by you. stood by you and you know asked you did you need anything and I have to say that I had the greatest work colleagues mm-hmm. you know nearly every one of them if not them all you know were constantly texting and ringing and you're always checking on, yeah. Checking on, but... And then you took six months out there and after... I did take six months out there, but I, it, there is a thing that, you know, you see the true good in people. Yeah. But you also see people for who they really are. Aye, 100%. And as I... One saying that has stuck with me my whole time is you don't know what you have until it's gone. 100%. And it wasn't until your daddy was gone that I realised how idyllic... Our life actually was. Yeah. We just thought it was an, an ordinary life. We were just ordinary people yeah. living an ordinary life. Now you were stuck with why us, why me? And now you were, we you were know. stuck with this. When I woke up the next morning and the I just loneliness. thought... It, the one emotion that I can describe and was fear. Mm. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. Fear of how you move forward. 100%. Fear of everything and everybody and every situation. It cripples you at times. It just was fear overwhelming. Does. Yeah. Fear and complete and utter loneliness. Mm. And it's sheer loneliness. And it's just, you know, you could be in a room with 50 people. Because I remember at one point in the white click, as I say, they were queuing out the door. But I felt the loneliest person in the world. I get that. And I remember thinking to myself, I just wish everybody would go. Mm. But... I knew you had to do mm. I'm proud mm. and I knew you'd be buzzing with the amount of people I because they loved all that too and, and he, he would have been buzzing and he probably oh, had a list of people that it didn't go and uh, he probably was checking that off or he's probably got a list of people who did attend thinking jeez haven't seen uh, you know exactly <laughs> and you know there was people that I sl- I laughed under myself that he really could take or leave that turned up and uh, I was you know at times I'd be laughing under myself thinking Jesus package such and such is over the top you know and what would you say to them? You know, uh, as we do, as you know, at the end of the day, you know, wakes is not just all doom and gloom. We had some really good laughs, and uh, you know, nobody loved to laugh like your daddy. But as I say, well, I must say, mine's was very different for Verkies. Absolutely different. You know, absolutely. mine's was in the height of a global pandemic. Do you know, I had very few people come through the house. Mine's was very isolated, very lonely. Uh, and you were saying about that fear. Do you know, I was crippled with fear. Uh, um, and mine's. I, I'll be well honest with you, I didn't have many laughs at all. Um I didn't have I didn't have them moments at all. Um because I couldn't I, I just couldn't believe that I was hit again, do you know, that kind of way and the devastation of that. Um but I do think that do you know, as you said, you do be grateful and you do be thankful that that you got to have that waking mm-hmm. funeral because unfortunately, you know, Berkey didn't. No. Do you know? And the thing, the unfortunate thing about Berkey's passing too was the fact that, I know you don't think this, but he was a child to me. Yeah, 100%. He was only 29 years yeah, of age. 100%. He's still a child. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, we were in that pandemic, we stuck to the rules. Yeah. We had no choice. Um, And the unfairness of it, because again, he loved people and he loved life and he yeah. loved, and he was so well loved. And, so and then you well see the likes of Boris Johnson pissing everybody off. Yes. Then. Do you know, like at the end of the day, like 
I am one of the, and you are too, has lost somebody through a pandemic. Yeah. And then you have somebody like that who's taking the absolute hand and thinking to yourself, you have no idea no. the devastation of losing somebody through a pandemic, not getting to hug people, you mm. know, keeping people in, in arm's length, isolating isolating through, through through grief is like an extra layer of trauma altogether on top of that. Absolutely. It's just absolutely horrendous. Absolutely. And the other thing is too, as you know, when you are 10 people counted on the chapel Aye. and 10 people counted on the cemetery in three cars. Yeah, 100%. And you know... And Berkey the full time. Yeah. Nobody got the left Berkey either. No, this is the thing. And when you have to stick to them rules for a 29-year-old man with his whole life ahead of him, mm. that cross is hard enough to bear without you know people restrictions around it well restrictions around it and then with people just make up the roses go along it's actually so disrespectful mm. i think it's it's absolutely a scandalous but at the end of the day you know going back to our own story the thing is what i can say for myself is the fear the loneliness mm. the unknown the, the and I remember waking up the next morning and the undertaker coming to the house and saying, you have five days to register his death. That's right. And I remember me and you getting up. That's right. At stupid o'clock. We weren't even sleeping anyway. Stupid o'clock. And we still don't sleep. No. And getting <laughs> up and being over there waiting for the registry office to open. That's right. And... um sitting there in a room we were petrified just in case somebody would see us I didn't want anybody to see us I didn't want to speak to anybody I'd done my butt I as I said to start because I'm such a quiet person anyway it's a real out of my comfort zone and I didn't want to be having to repeat the story over and over again yeah and and because of the suddenness of your daddy's passing you know it was in the papers it was in the front of the papers and I and just very public yeah. it was uh, and I just wanted to go on I really I, to be well honest with you, if I could have sent somebody to do it, I would have. Yeah. But it had to be me in person. And I remember going onto the registry office and I remember actually thinking, this is the most insane thing. Mm. In that one room, there was somebody registering a wedding. Mm -hmm. There was somebody registering a birth. And there was me registering a death, all within earshot of one another and all within sitting. And I thought, this is the most inhumane thing I've ever That's seen. horrendous. Surely you could have a room separate for people that are grieving yeah. you, you know it's a celebration of a birth it's yeah. a celebration of a marriage, a marriage yeah. and there's me yeah and i thought surely something must have to give on this yeah. and from what i have learned that that has now changed and thankfully so but it's the simple things it's the trying to deal every day getting up every morning you know we two dogs running at and they had to be walked. So I had to get up. And I remember many in the morning thinking, I don't want to get out of this bed. Mm. I don't want to meet anybody. I don't want to see anybody. And Ronnie and Ozzy were really your lifeline. And Ronnie and Ozzy yeah, got me out of bed yeah. in the morning. And I thought, because I said to myself, if I don't get up now, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, my work colleagues would have, you know, when he come back to work, when he come back to work. And I remember thinking, I can't even think about that. Mm. So but you I, did. You eventually I did. Did. I you took six months out. Yeah. And one of the main reasons, and I have often said to you, mm -hmm. one of the main reasons that I knew myself, I wasn't ready to yeah. go back to work. But I knew if I didn't go back to work, you weren't going back to work. So I thought, Give at least if I get her back to work, 
it'll be something. Because I was worrying about you. So yes. I wouldn't have went so, back to no. work until you went back So to I work. remember having a conversation with Birkin saying, listen, I'm going to go back to work, whatever it did it was. And I says, and he says, right. And I says, because if I don't go back, Bruna's not going back. Mm. And I says, and she needs to go back. She needs to be back with people her own age. She needs to be back, you know, with a different focus instead of looking at over shoulders every day at me. Or then you remember you kicked me out of the house three weeks and, uh, after my daddy's yeah. passing. Well, I thought this is it because... I couldn't believe it. I, I, I don't... I, I would say it's my top five worst experiences. The worst cry that I've probably ever... One of the worst cries I've ever had in my life. Um, or you just said you need to go back. And well, I was, like, no, I was I'm uh, not he, going back. No. And then all I did was worry about you. Yeah. And constantly worry about you and being with you all the time. Um, and I knew myself that it was unnatural, but I, I knew that all I was worrying was how you were coping and at times I didn't even care about myself, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. As long as you were okay, I was happy. Um, and I think you seen that through me then, that you were just like, no, enough's Aye. enough. You I need, thought, you, you have know, your own life, you have uh, your own uh, house. This is it. You had just moved into your new house. You said just, you were starting out on your lives together. Yeah. And I thought, you know, for, don't get me wrong, for the first week or two, it was like a blur. And then I remember lying, thinking to myself, you know, this is really unfair. And the thing is, if she doesn't go back, I don't know when she's going to go back. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is my life now. Yeah. It's not what I want. It's not what I signed up for. I didn't think this was going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. I was 52. I thought, what do you do? And I remember saying to you, you need to go home. Yeah. No, no, no. And I says, you need to go home. And I remember having a conversation with Birkin. He's made sure. I says, I am 100% sure because you need to take her home. And hindsight. And no. you need to look after her. And you need to start loving your lives together. Mm-hmm. I says, because let me tell you this now, I am not going to be the cause of you two splitting up mm. because I know how difficult you can be. Yeah. And I know how angry you were. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it's healthier for you two to work this out yourselves together. And I knew he was the only person that could do it for you. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. You have the most fantastic girlfriends and they were great. But they're not your soulmate. No, 100%. And you, you could be yourself with him the way I was myself with your daddy. And I thought, you need to go home and you need to start your life again. Yeah. Um, And I need to start whatever life I have. This is it. Yeah. And this is how it's going to proceed forward. And I thought, you know, that day I said, you need to go home. I know you put up a fight. And I said, no, this not is the way that. it's going to uh, be. And, and you know, and... As I said, you know, you know, looking back now, I was never as glad you actually did that. Do you know? I know how painful that was that day, but do you know when I did when you you did tell me to boot me out, and he says, "Right, brother, you're going," and that was that. From twenty four then to twenty nine, you know, that's where my life started going faster. Then, do you mm-hmm. know? I and felt fell pregnant then a couple of months later. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, we got married then in September 2018. And life was going, even though we always had the grief, the pain, the loss, but life was about about to go back in the fast lane again. Mm -hmm. Do you know, we were about to love again. Yeah. And then we brought these two most beautiful twins um, to our lives again. And, you know, we always do say that we we felt that he sent them down for a a reason because... We were in so much pain. Yeah. Um. We don't know where, what way our lives were about to go. No. Do you know that kind of way? So no. Um, the, the twins were, and are still 
a the, blessing. Oh, they're and the light of our lives. Like. This is it. And, you know, I always laugh whenever I recall back the day me and you went down for the scan, your final scan, mm. or your due date. Yeah. And they says, is it okay if we uh, have a planned section on the 28th of June? June? That's right, me and you know. We started off, because that was my birthday. Aye. And the consultant didn't know it was my birthday. We and never I, said anything. And I remember laughing, and I remember coming home that that day and thinking how insane is this it's mental and it's definitely a sign yeah it's definitely a sign from your daddy because prior to him passing the last holiday we'd been on together the four of us yeah we were in spain and your daddy had sister me we were walking along the beach and his sister me i hope the next time we're here siobhan we'll have our grandchildren with us uh. no one of the hardest things for me in the world mm. is that he never seen them yeah and that is tough Mm-hmm. and the day he died was the loneliest day of my life yeah but the second loneliest day of my life was the day the twins were born yeah that was the happiest day uh, yeah but it was also the loneliest day of my life because Bergie's mother and father and sister Rachel were all there mm-hmm. waiting for the twins to be born and I was there on my own mm-hmm. and I never felt as lonely as I did that day mm-hmm. because I hadn't had to share this yeah. these babies with and yeah. you know But who did come along? Well and uh, my lifelong our friend Robert rang me and says you're not staying out there on your own, I'll be out and him come with an oxygen bottle and I know. he was terminally ill at that stage and um There he was. He was there for And there he came time. but I never felt loneliness like it. I just felt, you know, you should be here. Mm-hmm. You should be enjoying these babies. Mm. You know, you just would make the most unreal grandfather. Yeah. Um, because he was an, a, an unreal father. Yeah. And I thought, this is horrific. But anyway, the twins came and, uh, you know, I had to deal with that loneliness. But I had to put that to the one side and say, this is our life now. We mm-hmm. have these beautiful babies and they've been sent by your daddy. For a reason. And then we For were starting to love back in the fast line. Uh, As I said, then then 2018, I got married. Yes. Which was a did. really tough, tough day. But you did an unreal speech. I Give remember. Give yourself credit I where did. credit's due. I remember Brona and Tom. I go between Colin Berkey, Berkey and Thomas. Um, Thomas had said to me, are you going to do a speech? And I says, I don't know. But I knew I was. And I wanted it to be... I wanted it to be a happy speech. I also wanted to pay tribute to Peggy. And I wanted also to pay tribute to Berkey, who had done such a great job of looking after me since Peggy's passing. So I took a long time, I mean months, yeah. to write that speech. And I prayed every night to Peggy, please give me the strength to get through this speech. Because I knew it was going to be a really tough day without him. Yeah. And it was. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I am not letting my pain and sorrow take away from the joyous day. Because yeah. he would have been over the moon. And all he wanted was for Bruno and Berkey to get married anyway. So um, I gave my speech. It took all of every emotion that I had. And I did it. And I was proud of it. And... Because, like, as you said, then, right, like, Berkey did, he did look after us, too. He did. He hadn't a clue what what way to go about things. Who does when people are grieving? No. But he took it the chin. He did. And he took every emotion that we had going, and, and he was our rock. 
He was. Uh, and God help him. It was very much said that on, yes. on the day too. And, well. and I did. I paid tribute to him and I paid tribute to Packing and I mm. paid tribute to our family and thank him and welcome. You know, as I said, he was a part of our family a long, long time. Um, but anyway, so the wedding came and it was a great day. And uh, our lifelong friend Robert walked running down the aisle and he took every ounce of his strength. Every ounce. Every to walk breath. down there. And, and he he's was. walking with oxygen. Aye. Uh, he was on what? How many litres in there? About seven. Uh, and um, he was, you know, terminally ill, but he gathered every, mustered every strength that he could. And he. I absolutely love Berkey too because they got on really well and they were football heads and they bantered together. Yeah, and they loved the crack. And this he was is such it. a man's man. This is it. And he was the one person that I can say, him and my other friend, Jenny, who seen the worst of me. Mm-hmm. And they're the only people that I could be myself around. I am very private. I don't show my emotions to anybody um, because I think if you really knew what I was feeling you would run a mile mm-hmm. so I find it very difficult to open up in front of people and As this takes this is I'm saying this is taking this a is lot. Back, back and forth me saying come on my uh, you know said, I don't ever speak about how my grief affected me to anybody apart from Jenny and Robert and unfortunately Robert's no longer with us but um I used to write and I stopped the day Berkey died uh, since the night the day after Pagan passed, mm. I had a journal and I wrote down every day how I felt. And it was my way of talking to him. And I I wrote it as if it was a letter to him every night. Yeah. And I did it, as I say, from the night after he passed. And I would have started off every day, packing such a shit day. Packing such a better day of the day. Or I could hardly get out of my bed. But I wrote every night when I went to my bed, I wrote a wee letter to him. And that helped. That I helped. Because that, that was the way I was express my emotions. Because as I say, I wouldn't speak because to anybody. Because when you're compressing the emotions to you as well, yeah. that was the way you offloaded then at exactly. night time where you just wrote pandy paper yeah. and this is how you, you felt. Is but then whenever the day that Berkey passed, I haven't looked a journal since because I thought... Do you think you'll ever go back to write again? I do think I will go back. But I thought this, what has oh. life given us? Yeah. Why would you... Why would you allow this to happen to my child? Mm. Again, you know, I know, don't get me wrong, and I'm not demolishing Adam and Aoife, but Bruna is my child. Yeah. And I just couldn't and cannot and don't think ever will accept that my child had been dealt this pain because why would they do it there a second time and why would they put us through this? You know, two you know, babies. Especially when you were saying to you a wee while ago that, you know, when my daddy did pass and I was 24 then, that, you know, you felt at that stage that it was it was really, really tough. And how could, uh, you know, how could you be took away when, you know, she was only 24 years of age and stuff like that? You know, for Adam and Aoife to get that hat at three years of age, it's just... Unspeakable. There's, there's, un, it's unspe- there's just no words for no it. No words. There's no words for no it. No words. And the thing is, you know... Berkey was such a fat, healthy, fun-loving, life-loving human being. The softest, gentlest human being you'd ever meet. Um, You know, just a great father, a great husband, a great son, Mm. a great friend, a great brother. And, you know, I know everybody thinks theirs is the best, but he was the best. And, you know, I, 
can't even really mourn them because I have my daughter to look after and I have two babies to look after. And Bronis' life changed forever on the 23rd of April and so did mine. Mm. And I was only beginning to find some form of normality. Yeah, I had returned to my work. I had walked and walked and walked the feet off myself because when I were out walking, I would be talking to Peg and constantly. And lockdown came and this was all sort of taken away and I was really struggling with it. And me and Berger used to go to a fitness class together on a Saturday morning and I would pull him on and he would pull me on. And, you know, I have to say, you know, you know, people talk about their mother and all and that, but I had a great relationship with him and I loved him. Mm-hmm. And um, when he was taken from us, the way he was taken... I just could not get my head around it. I just still to this day think, is this some sort of sick joke? Mm-hmm. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. And they witness my child again mm-hmm. going through this. You know, this is just horrific. So, and then for and you two were there babies, for the final moments. Too. Yes, and it, it was like has to repeat. Honestly, it was like has to repeat itself. And I thought, you know, what sort of God would allow this to happen a second time? And then I thought, you know, we're no different to anybody else. You know, we don't know what's around the corner. You know, at the end of the day, life throws these things at you. And, you know, you either sink or swim. Mm -hmm. And days, by God, we are sinking. Mm -hmm. And all our days we are swimming. Just just above the water. Just about Um, surviving. Do you know what I mean? And especially in our house now, the manager Vaughn's loving with me at the minute um, until the nanny flat is nearly finally finished. But... Do you know, we have four different types of grief in yeah. our house right now. We have Adam's Adam's grief, Aoife's grief, who uh, grief very differently and very yeah. uniquely. Uh, there's also mine and there's also yours. Yeah. Um, which uh, is really extremely hard at times too as well. You've now too as well. You'll never replace the shoes of Berkey, nor, nor would you want to. But no. now you have made him a promise that, you know, that you are going to try your best um, and the cruel most circumstances that it is the um, co-parent along with myself with Adam Leifa yeah because I I first admit it I can't do it on my own yeah I can't and I've said many conversations we with with it I just can't I can't do it on my own it's too difficult well Berkey made the promise to me at the grave when I lowered pegging on the ground that he would look after me and I made the promise when we lowered him onto the ground mm. that I would look after Rona and the twins for every breath that I have. And until my dying day, I will look after them the best I can. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I will do. Now, do I do a good job? I do the best I can. As Rona says, at days, you know, grief comes in different ways and it comes at different times and it comes in different formats. But I had the experience of going through grief with Rona. I've never had the grief of going through two, three and a half year olds no. and ask them where their daddy is, when's he coming back and how do you answer them questions? I still don't know how to answer them. No. I do the best or we do the best we can with them. Yeah. But I can tell you this now, I would not want anybody to experience the pain and the loss them children feel mm. and it manifests itself in different ways. And outwardly you would think, God, them two's getting on right. great. But, you know, you're not sitting there on the sleepless nights. You're not sitting there when they have their wee tantrums. You're not sitting there when Adam says to me a couple of weeks ago, I wish my daddy was taking me through the brandy well. Like, 
I took him to Brandywell and I was walking through it and I thought, this shouldn't be me. Mm. This should be his daddy. Mm. And he says to me, Nanny, I wish my daddy was here. And I says, son, I wish your daddy was here too. Mm. Or if I wish your daddy was here to fish, you know, these things... It's their moments. They never get easier. No, they don't. You know, as a matter of fact, I think as they get older, they get harder. Because when they were three and a half, you could have told them a wee story and they probably would have believed it. Uh, And plus, we were all going through grey fog as well. Yes. We still are, but, you know, it was very heavy back then too as well. This is it. It's now when they're getting older and the reality more is kicking in. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's them struggles too as well of, you know, of, you know, what life's ahead for them you know and as you said there we went to go that fear that fear never loses no, you never you know, and it cripples you even more times because you think to yourself jesus christ them wins them butts of wins why them do you know exactly. what i mean take whatever fucking hat i have and take whatever hat you have we can take it we're adults not yeah. them no not them never and the thing is you know you know if i hear one more person saying to me children resilient I would love to slap their mouth because let me tell you this, children are many things and they may be resilient, but they also have souls. They also have hearts and they also have minds and they also fist and, and put up with heartbreak the same as us. Exactly. You know, you're, you know, when you sit with a three and a half year old or a four or a five now, and you listen to them talking about their daddy and, you know, and one thing I have to say is that Berkey is always, always within our house. Mm. You know, he's talked about on a daily basis. Constantly. You know, their granddad Packy has talked about, even though they've never met him, they know him. And, you know, and you're constantly talking about him. But when you're faced with that children asking you questions that you don't have the answer to, I don't have the answer to as why his daddy had to go and leave him. I don't have that answer. No. Nobody does. And you're trying to, you know, give him an answer that's suitable for his age. But at the same time, too, I don't want to lie to him. You know, because I remember... You're trying, to, you're trying to do it in a child-friendly way. But then at the same time, too, you know, it's like you, you're learning. I'm learning, yeah. you know. And, and it's like, what do you say? What do you do? Do you know? It's 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 an aftermath of loss, too, as well, that, you know, is just absolutely... It's devastating. It's, it's devastating. devastating because... You know, I never grew up with that. No, neither did I. I. And neither neither have you, you know, you know, my granny and granddad live across the street from us. You know, thank God we still have them. Both of them are 82 and, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, we never, we've had to adapt to a new, new life. new you. A new you, a new, Mm. a new all of us. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That, that none of us knew and we still are still learning every day for, because of it. This is it. And the thing is, as you know, you have to try and turn some of the negative into a positive because 100%. otherwise the two wings, God bless them, would be walking around all day. We'd be walking around crying every day of the week. So you put on your best face. You do, you do. You know, as I remember saying to you when your daddy passed, you become the greatest actress in the world. Oh, I even ask for everything. You have your private face and you have your public face. And let me, it takes every emotion you have. 100%. To put on your 
your public fist and you go out and you do your bit and you get your shopping or you do yeah. what you do and then you come into real life yeah and the and thing your is reality when you're actually yeah. inside is a whole different portion yeah. of who you actually are in the outside absolutely and the thing is with we adam and Eva is the fact that you have to put on that fist for them. You can't. They can't see you moping about and no, crying about. No. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times that we've all cried together about their daddy, which is normal. They have to see the sadness. They have to see that you know, adults miss their daddy as much as they do, and it's okay to cry, mm-hmm. and it's okay to have a bad day, as yeah. we've often said them. It's okay to have a bad day. Yeah. But tomorrow we'll have a better day. A hundred percent. And this is it. And so you know, what I try to instill in them now is, you know, your daddy would be so proud of you. Yeah. You know, they sort of turn it round its head for them because at times I look at Adam coming out of football and I see all the daddies lined up to pick them mm. and it kills me every time. No, no. Every time. But I still put on my face and I say, well done. No. Well done, big man. You done great tonight. I'm so proud of you. But and that's your other done. strength doing that's, that for that's, you. And that's me asking your daddy, asking Robert, asking Berkey, please. Help us get through this day. Make this day as enjoyable and as fun for Adam and Eva. Because they don't need to be saddled no. by two bags of grief. No. What they need is as normal a life yeah. as they can have, even though their life is not the same as everybody else. No. But they have They're no two people no here yeah. that are trying their very best to co-parent them in the best way we can, full and full of love, 100%. full and full of hope, Full and full of confidence and talk about the joys yeah. and talk about the joys of life. And they love going to the caravan and they see the difference on them when they get down there and they just let go. Yeah, they do. They Even do. ourselves, you let they go of it. And, you know, and that's they, it. They are, they, and they that's have, the thing. They, they start getting, the heart start, starts getting filled with some type of love again yeah. through a shattered heart. Do you this know what I mean? It. When they, we go to the house at Donegal and we just offload and everything, do you know, it's just, it's our skip, it's our go-to. And I want know? Adam and Aoife to be Adam and Aoife. Yeah. Not Adam and Aoife that lost their daddy. Yeah. Just Adam and Aoife. Yeah. And do you know what I mean? And that's the thing. And that's where you just try and, you know, try your best. Yeah. Try, and you know, let me tell you this, you can shed all the tears you want at night on your own. Yeah. And we often do. Yeah. But, you know, for two... Or in the middle of the night. Because uh, we this don't is it. Sleep. Well, we don't sleep. And that's one of these things. And unfortunately... It's even got this stage now where it's really funny because mm. we just walk past each other and we're like, are you up? What's uh, happening now? That, ordering things at Ordered. Amazon. Next. Uh, geez, Couldn't even tell you the many parcels that are arriving. Jeez, we need, well, honestly, we need to stop. Uh, but like, this is it. What did you order? You, don't you know. wake up the next morning you'd be like, Jesus, did What's I actually that? order yeah. that last night? Aye. Oh, that's right. It says four, five past four this Aye. morning. As I said, and you know, sometimes we have a laugh and you know, and I'd be thinking to myself, your daddy loved his bed. He would be long sleeping. Aye. Long, long. And no. Burgers to turn around the side and go to sleep. So they'd be long sleeping. And we do love a good bit of dark humour. This is it. And you have to have, well, this is it. You have to have a bit of dark humour because at the end of the day, what's the alternative? To sit exactly. every day and cry. Exactly. And don't get me wrong. Let me tell you this. There's not a day goes by that they're both not must mm. at the end of the day we will always love them we yeah. will, they will our hearts will never ever no. be mended no but we have to love in the moment now we have to do our best that we can for adam and Eva and for ourselves 100 percent. and you know what we as i always that sometimes yeah and as i always say to you, you know we might i especially have a very small circle around me mm. but there are the people that i want around me yeah and the people that I feel comfortable around me. Yeah. And people that I know that 
in my bad days, I can go to them. In my good days, I can go to them. Yeah. And this is it. And I think it's important that Where you do talk. you think you find your strength from for the past nearly seven years? Where do you think you think you've got it from? Your daddy. Mm. I, I talk to him every day. I I was talking to Bruno about this earlier on. I was think I don't even know if I should say this. Mm. But whenever your daddy passed and it was just me and the two dogs in the house, I used to talk to the dogs. <laughs> You're all to me. Should I say about me talking and I to the dogs? And I saw I loads God of people have literally grieved I, and still uh, there's so many people actually uh, there's so many people that literally um you know, it shatters their heart. It's a grief in itself yeah. losing, a, uh, losing a pet. Do you this know what I mean? Well, you see, unfortunately for me, you know, since your daddy passed, I lost my two dogs and my best friend, Robert, mm. and Bergie. Mm. So this past couple of years, I've lost all the men in my life, yeah. except for my own father and son. Yeah. And th- I can tell you now, losing my dogs, if you don't have a dog, you won't understand this, but losing my two dogs was horrific. And mm. it was heartbreaking because them dogs got me up in the morning. They done. Them dogs were the reason why I got out of the bed, put one foot in front and of the other. And maybe they were your strength too as well. They were my strengths, but I would say that I get my strength from your daddy. I talk to him every day. I ask him to send me the strength. Yeah. And I did the Camino in 2019. 19, May 2019. May 2019. And one of the purposes of doing that was for me to find peace. Mm-hmm. Because I have to say throughout this all, all one emotion that I didn't have was anger. Mm. and I think the Camino walking the Camino and I walked every step I walked I talked to your daddy on it yeah. and I begged him and I pleaded with him and I said please give me the strength to carry on my life without you I don't want to do it but I have to do it and they, they try and this is before Berkey passed they try and be the best mother I can the best grandmother I can mm. just help me and, and I did. do believe that that's kept me going and keeps me going because you did you came back way this this inner peace i did and i do have inner peace from that do i miss him any less no no but it gives me a bit of peace and that i know that he's with me mm-hmm. and i have great faith that he is with me and i know that he will want me to keep going for the twins and for your sake and until as i say to you, i made that promise to berkey and until you know until my time comes i will do my best for them now i know you know I can't underestimate how times will be difficult. And you think, where are you? Help me out. Mm. But I have to say, you know, if I didn't have that faith, I don't know how I could carry on. And you have to have something to believe in. Are you spiritual or? I think it's more spiritual. Um, I think it's more a faith that he, I know, like Berkey, he did not want to leave his land. No, definitely not. He did not want to go. Mm-mm. His life was for loving. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of loving to do. They both had a lot of loving to do. And I know that he's, in his way, he is guiding me to say, you know, love your life through me now. Yeah. I'll help you. I'll guide you. I'll be your guardian angel, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I know he's there. And it's the same for the twins. I know that their daddy will protect them. Yeah. I know that their daddy's with them. I know he's with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to, I have to cling to something. Absolutely. And hope. that's what I cling. And that's, that's my hope. hope. And that's my hope for the future that that the twins have suffered a devastating loss. But that it's through us. It's not going us, to define them as a person. No, either. it's not going to define them through ourselves and through their grandparents and through their aunts and their extended family. That they will help turn them into well-rounded lovely human beings Mm -hmm. and that's all you can ask for if they're half the man that their daddy was Mm -hmm. 
if Adam is half the man that I was, he will be doing great. Mm-hmm. And if Aoife is half the girl that you are, mm. she'll be doing great. We'll be grand. We'll be grand. Siobhan, what is your final word of wisdom you would like to offer to somebody who is struggling, either who is, I know we hate this word, either a widow who has lost um, like the likes of with yourself doing the co-parenting, um, what would your words of wisdom be? My The only thing, and I am no expert on this, what I would say is take every day as it comes. Mm-hmm. You know, don't look too far ahead, just take today. Yeah. And what I would say is, even if it's one person, mm. even if you left the phone to the Samaritans, yeah. tell somebody how you're feeling. Yeah. Because I can tell you now, through experience, that bottling it up, it's not the way to go. No, it's not. And should you want to talk to someone anonymously, should it be through Samaritans or should it be through online? Should it be your friend? Should it be anybody? Tell somebody how you're feeling. Keep a journal. Yeah. I actually will go back and I intend to go back to my journal. I found it very therapeutic. And then after that, I had passed about three years. I remember one night looking back on the first couple of months. Of how far you've came. And how far, even though you don't think you've come no, far, but when yeah. I looked then it showed me how far it come and what i would say is don't take life too seriously yeah and your health is your wealth and if you have any sign that anything is wrong please go and get it checked out don't take no for an answer no just you know take it seriously and just love each day as it comes you'll have good days you'll have bad days and you'll have indifferent days but as i say just take every day, every hour, should it be down to every hour? Mm-hmm. Just take every hour. And what I can say to you is, I'm nearly seven years into this journey now. It's still as raw as what it was, but you learn to love each day a wee bit better. That's why we go for our words of wisdom, for Siobhan. All my mates, everybody goes to Nanny Siobhan. Nanny Siobhan has the great words of wisdom. Siobhan, Mammy. Nanny Siobhan, friend, everybody else who absolutely loves Siobhan, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, hopefully that was painless and not as uncomfortable as you thought. No, it was grand when I started. Uh, I'm grand when the mics, it's the camera. Well, sure, you're grand. Sure, it's all done now, Siobhan. You're rocking and you're rolling. Siobhan, thank you so, so thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you.